to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. This project is funded through the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. It is led by Care Ballon in St. George, Ballon Shire in southwest Queensland in conjunction with a team of researchers led by Dr. Sarah Casey at the University of the Sunshine Coast. The team includes Dr. Gail Crimmins, Dr. Saskia de Klerk and Dr. Karen Hands alongside Professor Jackie Hewitt from Griffith University. This podcast series is about building women's capacity, empowerment, strategic communication, and business leadership skills. This series is eclectic. We interview community and business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, communication and media experts, an empowerment and confidence leader, and CEOs, the agitators and the advocates. Our hope is that this series might act as an inspiration and information toolkit for others. You can find more information about our project at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. All episodes contain show notes about the guests with links to their stories. So settle in and enjoy the series as together we chat with these remarkable women. Hello, everyone. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Pamela Greet. Pam has had a long engagement with communities and people who want to make change for good. She has strong leadership and knowledge in capacity building, skills development, mentoring and leadership for emergency services and for disaster response in Australia and internationally. She has outstanding results overseeing major sport and recreation infrastructure projects for community local government and peak sporting organisations and strong connections across regional Queensland. Pam currently is the principal at Future Ag Queensland. She's an experienced team leader with broad experience in stakeholder negotiations, an excellent presenter and public speaker. Pam's stories of leadership and collaboration demonstrate the importance of reciprocity, persistence and distributive power. This is a beautiful and honest conversation where Pam weaves personal stories with career narratives and advice for living well. Thank you. Hope you enjoy. So today on Real Rural Women's Leadership, I'm joined by Pamela Greet. And Dr. Pamela Greet is going to tell us a little bit about her background, but more importantly, really her insight and her experience of women's leadership. So first of all, thank you for joining me today, Pam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've asked me to say a little bit about my background. So yes, please. I, I will try to, to kind of collapse this is a big background to pack into a few minutes but I was born in regional Queensland in the Burdekin which is a cane farming district and I was born in Home Hill. My parents were both professionals. My mother was a physiotherapist and my dad worked in the bank and worked his way up to becoming an accountant and for me actually seeing my dad toil over his books at night after dinner was a very early influence, I think, about education and its importance in, in our lives. So my dad completed his, his university degree when I was seven years old and I remember my parents proudly going off to Brisbane for his graduation ceremony. Yes, yeah, so fast forward, I did my undergraduate degree at James Cook. We lived in Townsville. I'd completed my secondary schooling there. So very much grew up with that rural, regional perspective as, as a part of, of who, I, who I am, I guess. Became, eventually became a secondary school teacher and then 
quite soon after starting in the classroom, my husband was transferred to South Africa with his work. And that was that was actually quite a challenging thing for me. It was uh it was tough making the decision to go to South Africa at the height of apartheid. But fortunately through friends of friends I connected with some women who were working at the at the university and also involved with this it's its name was the SACED Trust, the South African Committee for Higher Education. And it was actually established in the late 1960s when the government introduced legislation banning African students from attending universities. And a group of academics came together and set up an organisation to support students who completed their studies by distance through universities in the UK. So that that was the background of that organisation and it did a lot of work with trade unions and also teacher upgrading programs because many, many of the teachers in the African schooling system had only completed matriculation. So this organisation ran um, programs to build build teacher skills and also produced produced publications to help kids who had access to very little in the classroom. For example, while I worked at the SACED Trust, I worked on a a book about cell biology because kids didn't have access to microscopes at all. And it was very interesting. We were contacting researchers around the world to use images and photographs in the publication and we encountered that people saying, oh, no, we can't have our work published in South Africa because of apartheid. And so we had to negotiate that. That was, that was really quite an interesting process. But that, that textbook came out and students found it really, really useful because they could actually see images that they would have seen if they'd had microscopes. So... Yes, the power of education as a door opener and and a change um, agent, I guess, is something that has interested me all my life. So maybe I'll just pause there. Yeah, and it sounds as if, you know, you as a change change agent involved in and using education and your leadership in that, is also central to that story. So, you know, you're talking about this is what I did and this was the impact of the organisation and the impact of the publication and the impact of education more generally. But interestingly, you were very central to that as well. Do you see yourself, do you identify yourself as a change agent? Do you identify yourself as, as someone who is a leader in that space? I I guess I... The word leader is not is not really a word that I put on myself. I see myself as an enabler. I really like to help other people open doors or help other people map their paths or strategize to get to where they want to be. I don't I, I'm not sure why, but I've always been a person who liked to st- to stand back and observe from the sidelines rather than necessarily being in the spotlight 
although I do love public speaking and I do enjoy public speaking, but, yeah, the word the word leader is I, I prefer to think of myself as a facilitator, I guess, or an enabler than, than necessarily a leader. But leadership comes in lots of different forms. I know that. So it does. And even if you're not leading at the front, you can lead from behind, you can lead from the side. I I find it curious simply because anecdotally, I'm going to be completely honest about this, it's anecdotal. Anecdotally, more men tend to identify themselves as leaders than women in my experience and in my interactions. And interestingly, when I hear women's stories and I hear your story today and the courage, but also the political complexity and sensitivity that you had to navigate, but also with your eye on the prize, what you wanted to facilitate, what you wanted to change, what you wanted to enable. For me, they are inherently leadership qualities and characteristics. Mm -hmm. That vision, that energy, that power, the diplomacy, the negotiations, all of those things I think are are central to to what you enabled and what you managed. And I would identify those as leadership skills and qualities. And I think maybe it's, again, this is perhaps an anecdotal, but it's perhaps perhaps it's around notions of leadership that we've we've inherited masculine notions of leadership and competitive notions of leadership the leader is one person at the front that that it's a single entity and that then they are in the spotlight I I don't know I just think that I certainly when I was hearing your stories I was very impressed but I I saw that as 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 you enabling through leadership just thought I'd mention that in my observation for me, I think a lot of the the motivation and the intention and the power comes from that collaboration and cooperation with other people, and that's why I I really like to work to work with others. I, I'm working in in groups with other people, generally smaller groups. I, I like to work with two or three other people, being really you know collaborating for a specific outcome, but and and I draw a lot of um, yeah enthusiasm and uh, commitment from the energy that other people bring to projects as well. So I think I think there's there's huge huge benefit in the, in that collaborative approach, and that's what I try to foster. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you what characteristics or specific skills do you think contributed to your professional success um, and achievement? And I think you've just answered that. It's your it's your collaboration. It's your working with. Yeah. Um, Look, it's, yeah. it's interesting because I mentioned earlier that I that I do enjoy public speaking, and and I do, and I've been I've actually been a toastmaster for almost twenty years, and I joined Toastmasters because I I like the opportunity to speak about a whole range of topics and I was in a in a workplace where I did quite a bit of speaking but it was always on the same topic so I joined Toastmasters to have an opportunity to speak about different things but interestingly until I was in my late 30s I was absolutely terrified of public speaking to the point where if I even had to introduce myself in a group, I would just go bright red and, you know, it was it was 
absolutely terrifying for me. It, it's just interesting how once I kind of broke through that, but but I think the other thing that that gave me was that I spent so much of my early career listening and observing people and I I do think that that is a skill that I that I that I bring to to collaboration that listening and synthesizing what other people are saying or working out you know what this points to in terms of a problem or a solution or different ways to approach things so I think that that um we underrate, we, we highly underrate the power of, of silence and of, of listening to other people and letting other people speak. And I suppose that, that um, is why it's really important to ensure that we hear a diversity of voices and a diversity of representations as well. So, you know, going back to the idea of, of kind of maybe masculine notions of leadership being the most dominant mode or most dominant model by which we identify leadership, it might also be that we have not necessarily historically listened to women's voices in the same way that we have historically listened to men's voices and the narratives that they bring too. So it's very refreshing to, to hear women's voices and to also be in an opportunity yeah, like this to be able to to profile women's voices. And I was just wondering, you know, when you're talking about you moved from a point of lacking in confidence in terms of being a public speaker to one where you enjoy it actually and use it to your advantage. What what brought about that change? Was there a particular incident or was it a general movement towards feeling more confident? in your capacity to speak publicly. So, yeah, it's interesting. I can remember exactly when this uh, happened. I was in Jordan. It was when I was working with the World Council of Churches and in their disaster response team, and I was invited to go by the Middle East Conference of Churches. I was invited to go to a workshop in Jordan and there was a large contingent of church leaders from Canada and the United States and we were sitting around after dinner one night and discussing a particular issue and I was just sitting there listening and something just came to me and I just started speaking and said oh it could be like this and and then told a little story and the General Secretary of the Middle East Conference of Churches came to me afterwards and said, that was absolutely fantastic. You know, you've got these people on board. They were really resisting, but you've got them on board. How did you do that? And I just, I said, I don't know, but I'd been listening to them all day and I just felt I couldn't stay silent anymore. And it was interesting because in my role I convened a lot of very significant meetings of people from all around the world. But I was fine chairing a meeting, but if I had to express an opinion, then the the shutters came down. And that one experience just made me realise that I could speak and people would listen. And it wasn't as terrifying as I had thought. 
it was. So it probably took me another year, 18 months, to kind of more routinely sort of feel comfortable putting opinions forward. But, yeah, I I, I got there in the end. Yeah, that's a remarkable story. I wasn't sure whether it was going to be, a, you know, a quick instant or whether or not it was a very slow process. And as you say, although it, it evolved over the next year, that, that opportunity, but also I was interested when you said, I felt compelled to speak. You, know, yes. you had something to say and you really felt that you, you were required almost, so you were compelled um, to speak in that context and that motivated that. So we're all really grateful that that happened, actually, because you have so much to contribute and your voice is really important. In terms of the sort of people around you, the networks that you've had, I'm just wondering, have there been particular individuals that have either been role models or mentors or people that have facilitated your professional development in a way? Hmm. Who supports you so that you can support others? There are a a couple of regional women who I'm very close to. I'm I'm not sure that I really want to name them because I think once you start naming people, there's always someone who might feel left out. But one of those is a photographer who lives in Townsville. She's a very well-respected aerial photographer and I followed her on Facebook for many years and I just met her in person this year at Beef in Rockhampton and we just clicked and even though I don't see her that much when I when we have conversations on the phone we're kind of really tuned in and it's it's just I find it really really refreshing and my my other one at the moment is is another woman that I'm that I work with who is based just outside of Mackay and again it's that that working from a place of shared values i think is is what is is really important to me and i i i mentioned earlier about you know getting energy and motivation from other people and sometimes if i'm feeling a bit bit flat or you know a bit bit lost I just need a conversation and it's okay well I may I may not be able to dig out the whole side of the mountain this afternoon but if I start if I do these few things I'm moving closer towards my goal and it's that it's not a rah-rah style of leadership it's 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 that kind of gentle encouragement and you can do this. You you know that you can you can do this. That that sort of encouragement, and that's I guess that's a kind of encouragement that I like to give to other people. And the other thing I have to mention is my two daughters. I also have a son, <laughs> but my two daughters are very grounding, and you know they they will say, "Oh, mum, you can do it, mum. You know you can do it," and. Sometimes that that's all it needs, you know, just that that little nudge, that 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 little push. Yeah, out there in the in the real world, there there are amazing women. But I, if someone said to me, "Well, there's my mum, who was a a great one for persistence and sticking at things," 
And then I had a high school English teacher. Her name was Pam Gilbert, and she did some pioneering work in, first of all, in boys' literacy and then in girls' literacy back in the 80s and 90s. Sadly, she she died of breast cancer, but I had Pam Gilbert as a high school teacher from year eight through to year 12, and she then went on to become an academic at James Cook University. But she was she was a very short, tiny little woman, but she was a dynamo, and she she really encouraged me to yeah to 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 work hard and yeah yeah it sounds and this is actually quite a common theme that seems to be emerging from many of the women that we're speaking with it tends to be that we draw our inspiration and motivation energy from our relationships so not necessarily women who are in really high positions of power and status we're not necessarily modeling ourselves always on these women who are in the kind of limelight, but it's, it tends to be the women with whom we have relationships, with whom we have friendships, who have been our teachers or who are still our teachers, even if they are our daughters. And, and I, I find that really refreshing because we can all, therefore, be that woman, can't we? If, if we know that we draw our inspiration, our energy, our motivation, our support from our relationships we can also do that in and through our relationships as well, that we don't necessarily have to be anything other than who we are to be able to do that. Do you find, and I know that you've had, you know, quite a a range of roles, diverse experiences internationally, nationally, regionally, do you find that you have experienced or do you encounter any barriers, do you think, or do you think there are barriers to women's leadership? Well, I think... One thing I I feel that I have to say is that often we put our own barriers in our way and that may be just our our lack of self-belief or our um, fear of just having a go, that fear of failure or fear fear of looking foolish or fear of you know, making making a blooper or whatever. So I think I, I wanted to start with that. Mm. But then also I have unfortunately in two workplaces been I I don't like using the word victim, but I've been bullied in in the workplace. And unfortunately on one of one occasion that was by another woman. So you know I think it behooves us to be very uh, careful when we talk about women, women's leadership as if uh, women can't make mistakes or women don't make mistakes. Women, we, we're human, you know, we do make mistakes and, and I've made mistakes as well. But the, I think it's always a very powerful thing to be able to own up to having made a mistake and and just being really open about that. And I guess when this occurred to me, it was relatively in, in my relatively recent past and actually one of the things that motivated me to establish Future Ag Queensland, my current business, I just thought I cannot let myself be defined by that. I just have to set that aside and keep going and and work on the the things that I know I have to give. So, 
and I did get a lot of support from other people, men and women, that I had been had been colleagues in that workplace. So that was really encouraging. But yeah, it was tough. It was it was very tough. And I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that I went to see a psychologist and got some, you know, support with working through that. And that was that was really important to do that. Yeah. Thank you so much for your candor, you know, your honesty, because I think I think many of us can relate to what you have just said. And many of us actually keep that private. Mm. Um, and by, by keeping it private, we we don't give we don't give agency to others to share their stories. So we keep theirs private. People feel that it's only them and therefore they inhabit the shame, even though the shame should be on the perpetrator, should be mm. on the bully not those of us who have experienced that. But you've also talked about the help-seeking behaviour and you've also demonstrated your resilience. I know you talked a little bit earlier about your mum and her yeah. incredible persistence and resilience. So obviously you, you do have that ability, but, the, but needing to seek assistance and support actually is a resilient strategy. And I'm also, and I don't want to, certainly don't want to dominate the conversation today. Nobody's tuned in to listen to me. They want to hear you and your story, Pam. But I might just say one thing. One thing that I get a little bit cross about is this notion of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm. Because I actually don't think you get stronger from those life experiences. I think actually you get a little bit knocked back and it gets a little bit harder sometimes to keep bouncing back and to keep maintaining your energy and your passion and your vision and your collaboration and your camaraderie and all of those things. So so I think taking stock, talking of the experience, owning the responsibility when that responsibility is yours, but also seeking help is actually a much, much stronger and long-term healthier strategy than this notion of you know, I'm going to get stronger by this and I'm going to push through. You did manoeuvre around it and you have actually used this to your advantage, but that doesn't mean that those life experiences are good or positive or make you stronger. I think that they, um, I think it behoves us all. You were talking about responsibility earlier to really think about our actions and the consequences, our words and the consequences of our actions and words, because obviously they have a significant impact on others always. So thank you so much for telling that story. I think it's it's brave, but it's also really important. So tell me a little bit now about your new business. What is it? When did you develop it? What do you, what are you achieving through that business, Pam? Okay, so the the role that I had a contract role in government prior to this, I was working in the stakeholder engagement space in a major program where the government was engaging with the rural sector and particularly with agricultural producers. And I guess, you know, government's not always really good at engaging with the public. And sometimes that engagement can be more of just a one-way information channel or even if it's a two-way information channel, the government wants information to, you know, inform policy or what have you, is not necessarily deeply invested in the context. but 
in several roles that I've had in the health sector, in um, sport and recreation, in my role as a board member of the Queensland Rural, Regional and Remote Women's Network almost 10 years ago now. I've been engaged with rural communities in a lot of in a lot of different ways. And what I am enormously impressed pressed by, and I also see this across my extended family, is the resilience of those communities, the innovation that is, you know, often we we look at, you know, the regions and we think that oh, they're really conservative and they, you know, they don't, they're really against change and they just want to live in the past. And I guess my experience is that Really, there's a there's a huge appetite for for innovation and and change there, and I'm so I, I set up Future Ag Queensland. I see agriculture as a bit of a metaphor for the health of of our regions. I don't think that we can have we can't. I, I don't think we can have growing, resilient regional communities without agriculture. So I think they go together very, very strongly. I'm very interested in the health of communities, but I'm also really passionate about doing what we can to look after the environment, our natural capital. So I'm invested in both the social capital and the natural capital. And Future Ag Queensland is just my vehicle to offer my my skills to help help communities. So it some of the work that I do is with individual producers, but and some of it is with, you know, community groups. So it it can be quite diverse and I really love that. So my my doctorate is in uh, creative writing. So, but I also have a master's. I do have a master's in leadership, <laughs> which is interesting that I have that qualification, and yet I still don't want to necessarily say, "Hey, look at me, I'm a leader." But and I have a master's in professional professional writing as well. So I guess what I what I what I bring to those relationships with communities is helping people to nut out what the issues are that they're trying to solve, understand the broader context of that, and then bring forward their their pitch or the, you know, the the kind of really focused story that they need to tell to promote that idea and get that idea, you know, whether it needs some finance behind it or more people or the listening ears of, you know, decision makers or politicians, then I assist with that process. That's that's what I do. That's amazing because even though you have this new I say new, but this acquired series of very, very sophisticated skills. And knowledges, the work that you do is relatively similar to the work that you did when you when you were a relatively new graduate. In mm. that again, it's about working for, working alongside, advocating, creating listening ears for voices. Um, it's all based around that sense of creating opportunity and facilitating others. So that, that seems to be a, a constant in a way, Pam, through through all of the roles that you've that you've adopted and even all of those kind of qualifications feed into that as well. Yes, and I I guess I I mean I like the fact that 
I have a I, I have that doctorate in creative writing. But for me, if people can't see themselves in the story, then something's not working. So and and for me that is about the the power of communication and getting getting the story articulated in a way that people can connect and can see themselves as having having a role to play and whether that's about climate change or whether that's about you know reducing domestic violence or working on a social agenda that's related to the well-being of the elderly in the community or whether it's weeding and regenerating the local creek bank all of those stories uh, need people to make them happen and and need people to be a part of that change. So how we how we tell that story is is really important, so that people can see that that they have a part in that. And is that what motivates you professionally? Is is giving agency, allowing people to tell their stories and create and co-creating and developing those stories with people, or do you have other motivations professionally? No. It- a good 50% of what I do is pro bono. So it really is the reward of the connection of working with those people and seeing them getting getting closer to achieving what they want to achieve. So that's, you know, for me that's a huge thing to be able to to do that. And that's that's my key motivation is seeing other people realise their you know, realise or or get closer to what they're trying to achieve. That's the thing yeah. that that does it for me. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 beautiful, and it's honestly it's, it's a through line to everything that you've said so far. I, I see and hear it in all of your discussion. So, can I um, please ask what characteristics or traits you most admire in women leaders that you know? Things that I most admire. I guess I do really like to see women who enable or create a pathway for other women. One woman that I really admire, I guess, who is on that biggest stage and I admire the way that she has handled herself since she was the Prime Minister is Julia Gillard. She is... I. Don't, I don't, didn't necessarily agree with everything that she did as the Prime Minister. I've really loved the way that she has applied her her energy and her commitment to other causes, but she doesn't sit on the sidelines. You won't hear her giving a commentary about what's going wrong in Canberra, and, and I think that that's, that's a really good thing. I, I admire that greatly about her and I I admire that she's used her time as the Prime Minister as a stepping stone into other really important causes. Yes, so I guess I, I mean I think women who have opportunity have a responsibility to make sure that they they share that and that's that's something that I I really look to to other women to 
the women that I like to associate with and the women that I identify as leaders are generally women who who work in ways that that are distributive of their power. Yes. Beautiful. Yes, so articulate, so clear, so um, generous as well um, to to explain it so clearly to us. Thank you. Um, Before I go, I don't have any more questions, but I was just wondering if there was anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners today, whether it's a story, whether it's advice, whether it's something that, that was passed on to you that you'd like to pass on to. Oh, I don't know that I've got any in, incredible gems. I mean, it, it's funny. My, I will tell a little story. One of my sisters is writing a family history at the moment, and she needs to. She needs some certainty around a particular date in our grandmother's life. So I said, I w- I, I actually happen to have all of the letters that I've received probably for the last 40 years in boxes. So before we did this interview, I was sorting through a box of letters and I said to my family who was sitting at the other end of the table, I said, oh, this is so embarrassing. I just feel like this. And they said, why? And I said, "I all I see when I'm shuffling through all these letters is all the mistakes that I've made in my past and and it's and I'm thinking why am I holding on to these you know letters from old boyfriends that I had before I have been married for 36 years you know letters and 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 just sort of flicking through and thinking oh my god why did I you know letters from my dad and my my mum and at different times and yeah, just looking back and thinking, you know, we every one of us makes so many mistakes in life, but we we always have an opportunity to get up the next day and put things right with ourselves and put things right with the world. And I think maybe that's the thing that I'd I'd like to leave with people that there's always an opportunity to to to, to have another go and you know, and and come back and make it better. Because <laughs> I think yeah. that's what we're here for. I, th- I really think that there, there's no big answer anywhere, but there's sense and there's meaning in the connections that we have with each other and just making things a little bit better for, for other people is good for us and it's and it and it's good good for the planet. So I'll leave it at that, I think, Gail. Well, that was really beautiful and thank you so much for all that you've shared with us, especially that last story and that reminder that courage is just trying again. Yes. Um, So, Dr. Pamela Greet, thank you so much for your time and insights into your life and experience today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Gail. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be delighted if you would take a couple of minutes to rate and review our podcast on your chosen listening platform. If you'd like to learn more about this series or get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so via our website at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. 
where you'll also find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. Thanks again for listening.